back. It's really hard to fall asleep standing up. I've heard some people have done it before, but those people are few and far between. So if you feel yourself nodding off, uh, I won't be offended if you feel like you got to just get up and go stand in the back. Uh, do we have any Lord of the Rings fans here? Yeah. Okay. This, this is a good, relatively nerdy crowd then. Um, I, I love Lord of the Rings. Uh, I find those stories, first off, I just think that they're really entertaining. Uh, but also, I love them because I feel like they communicate uh, so many deep truths about life, even though they're you know, totally fake and in this fantasy world. But one of the truths that's communicated is actually even in the title of the first book. Anyone know the title of the first book of Lord of the Rings? The Fellowship of the Ring, right? Uh, now, if you don't know anything about these stories, the basic idea is that there's this like dangerous magical ring, and there's this really evil dark lord that lost it a long time ago, and he really wants to find it bad. So he's doing the best he can to find this ring, and the people who found it are doing the best they can to keep it away from him. And so they decide, well, I guess the only thing that we can really do is destroy this thing. Uh, but there's one snag. And the only place it can be destroyed happens to be in the evil Dark Lord's backyard. There's this really hot volcano there. It's the only place it can be destroyed. So they're like, oh, dang, this is going to be really difficult. And uh, if you know your memes, you know that one does not simply walk into Mordor. <laughs> so they, they're kind of in a bind here. Like, what, what are we going to do? And uh, what, what they decide is, okay, we're going to put together this fellowship of people. Because if one person, this is too much of a task for them to be able to do by themselves. But maybe if we get together a group, an alliance of, of men and elves, uh, we'll get an, uh, a dwarf in there. And uh, well, you know, we'll throw some hobbits in too. And uh, th this group, maybe together, they'll be able to accomplish this task. Um, so they, they form a team of creatures to commit uh, to, to helping carry out this task. They know that it's really important, like their existence is on this. Like if they don't destroy this ring, all of Middle Earth is going to get, it's not going to go well for them. Um, they know that the journey is going to be really long. They know there's going to be a ton of challenges and they know that they're going to need each other. And you can either read the books or watch the movies yourself to find out how it ends if I've piqued your interest. Um, but when we know even in real life, that we have a long and difficult journey ahead, we know that we're going to need help, right? There are some things in life that are best done by yourself, but life itself is best done with others. And, you know, life is meant to be lived with others. God literally made us this way. At our church in Cincy right now, we're going through the book of Genesis. We've just started it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that God says is he makes he, like, all this wonderful creation. He makes man, and then he says, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he makes this suitable helper, and of course, that suitable helper is woman, and through that, there's a lot more people. They're fruitful, they multiply. But there's this idea that, that God has created us to be people that actually need fellowship. And, and there's none of us that are, like, outside of that need. <clears throat> there are struggles that you're going to come across in life that you will not be able to handle on your own, <clears throat> but you're going to be able to handle them with other people. I love this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. It says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We, we get this idea that, man, challenges, you need people in your corner when you come across them. But, but not only do we need fellowship and, and we need people in our lives for the, the bad stuff, the hard stuff, but also like we want people in our lives for the good stuff. Something about life is just, it's way more joyous and, and, and successes are way better when you're able to share them with others. Uh, we see this all throughout the scripture as well. I love Psalm 35, 18. It says, I will give thanks to you in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. There's something different about being able to praise God with people than just doing it by yourself. And don't get me wrong. Like there's sweet, awesome, intimate times of, of worship that I've had with the Lord just by myself. But there's also something that's really special about being able to come together with a bunch of other people that love the Lord and just praise him for all the good things that he's done. That's one of the main reasons that we gather together every week, right? That's, that's why we get together on Sunday mornings is to go and be able to praise him. There, there's uh, so many awesome things that you, know, you can get great teaching on the internet or whatever, but there's nothing that can substitute being able to come together and worship the Lord and celebrate who he is and what he's done. 
You know, God knows how he made us. He knows that we need each other. And so it makes sense that he's called us to live life together. And, uh, you know, last night Kyle talked about how God called us to go all in with him because he went all in for us. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue with that theme. I'm talking about how God has called us to go all in for him together. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into this a little bit more. God, you are are so awesome. You're so worthy of our praise. I thank you that uh, we can do that, that we can just praise you with our lives, with the decisions we make, with the thoughts uh, that, that we choose to entertain in our minds. Like We get to worship you that way. Um, I thank you, Lord, that we get to worship you in the way we just did, like singing together. I uh, thank you that we get to worship you through um, just declaring your good deeds the way that Arumi did, um, just, just speaking about the way that, that you cared for her grandma. And Lord, there are just uh, so many ways that we can worship you. We want to worship you now, Lord, by focusing on, on your, in on your word. Uh, devoting our minds to you, devoting our hearts, our ears to listen to what you have to say. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak in this space here. Move in our hearts, Lord. Move amongst us. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are here. And we pray all this in your son's awesome name. Amen. So when you become a Christian... There's a lot in your life that changes. Uh, You can see this from the way that the Bible speaks about it. Uh, The Bible speaks of us becoming new creations. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Or you look at this idea of being reborn. That's another uh, image that we see in Scripture to describe this idea of becoming a Christian. Jesus says in John 3, 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. When you become a Christian, there is an absolute uh, total transformation, a new life that you start to walk into. And you are born into the family of God. Right? Like The amazing thing is, sometimes we, we hear terms and we don't even really think about the depth of what they mean, right? Like we call God Father, but, but what an amazing truth that we get to call God Father. <laughs> like that's not something that we should just kind of treat as no big deal. I love First uh, John 3, 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Man, how amazing that Father is the Christian name for God. We get to, to come and, and just... Know that the Lord is our dad, and that means that he loves us intensely. You know, when I, I think of when my kids were born, one of whom you saw up here earlier, uh, the other one's a little boy, he's four months. Um, when, when they were born, man, they, they didn't have to do anything to make me love them. Like, they, they, there was already just an intense love in my heart for them that was there and just like willing to do anything I needed to to protect them, provide for them, care for them, make sacrifices to love them and serve them. And that, that is what our Father does for us. And you know, not only uh, when, when we are reborn, not only do we have this, this amazing reality that we get to become children of God, but also we're born into a family with a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. Right? A whole bunch of brothers and sisters. Look around. Like, you have a huge family. You have a huge, and this is a very, very, very small part of it. Very small part of a huge family that you have been brought into. You know, Matthew 12, 49 to 50, Jesus pointed, that, pointed this out. He said, pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my brother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, we use the term a brother and sister again in the, in the church. It's like, you, you hear that a lot in scripture. Maybe we use it sometimes in church. And um, there's something deep being communicated about that. It, it's, the, the church is not just a social club. It's, it's actually a family that, that's brought together by the blood of Jesus. We're bonded together for eternity. You know how you're kind of like stuck with your family, whether, whether you like it or not? So you better learn how to live with them. That's us. And, and we, we're stuck with each other for eternity, yo. So you thought living for 18 years in the house was, was tough with your parents and your little sister or something. Uh, we're, we're, we're together for eternity, and we should care for each other like we're family. Because that's what we are. You know, this got me thinking about the way that a, fel- a healthy family operates. And that's really what I, the concept that I want to guide the rest of our time here this morning. And as I was thinking about this, uh, one thing was that 
we learn so much from our families. I, I, I have a two-year-old daughter. You saw her up here earlier. She talks a ton now as long as she's in the right mood. Sometimes she acts like she's shy, although she's not shy. Um, but like, if you get her in the right mood, she, she talks a ton. And she, she, you can actually carry on a pretty decent conversation with her. Um, but she didn't come out of the womb this way. right? For the, for the first year of her life, she didn't say hardly anything that really sounded much like English. Like, maybe if you were around her a lot, you could kind of understand what she was trying to communicate. But ultimately, she had to learn. And she learned how, primarily from being around her family. Because as she grew up in our house every day, she was consistently hearing Cassie and I and everyone else who comes to her house speak English. And, and with that, over time, she, she listens, she picks up words, she learns how to mimic it. And, you know, sometimes we would teach her things intentionally, Hey, this word means this, but most of the time she just learned by being in our presence. And I think there's a lot of similarities with how we learn to follow Jesus. You know, when you come to know him, you're, you are reborn and you have to learn how to live this new life that you've been brought into. And as a family, we are here to help each other do that. The old ways of life that we, we once lived need to be let go. And there's a new way of life that we must learn to walk in. And, and the Apostle Paul uh, spoke about this. He wrote about this to the, the church in Ephesus. So think of this. The, the gospel in the first century, so you have Jesus, he dies, he resurrects, and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and there's this incredible move of missions. The, the city of Jerusalem, you see 3,000 people get saved that day. Uh, but then there's a persecution that starts, and that persecution, what looks like a bad thing on the surface, ends up actually just making the church scatter. It starts to spread throughout the world. And now all of a sudden, you get people that are bringing the gospel into all these places where it's, they were totally unfamiliar, sometimes even totally unfamiliar with all the Old Testament scriptures. And so one of these guys that was doing that was the Apostle Paul. And he's bringing the gospel to this place called Ephesus. Um, Ephesus is a city full of Gentiles, you know, mostly people that, that were not familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. They, they lived life a certain way that was very different from how a Christian should be living their lives. And... and uh, when Paul came and preached the gospel to them, many of them received it and, and they started to follow Jesus, but they had to learn how to walk in this new way of life. And uh, when he says this word Gentile, that just means a non-Jewish person. So that, that's who most of them were. And uh, they had a certain way of life in that city that, that was not compatible with Christianity. And uh, look at what Paul writes to them here in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. And were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, there's a learning process. Paul had spent time, he preached the gospel, he spent time in their city for a while, continuing to teach them. And even here, as he'd moved on to a different place, he's writing back uh, to them in this letter, reminding them, hey, there is a different way of life that you have learned to walk in. And they learned it from their family, right? Paul, their older brother in Christ, came and brought the gospel to them. And, and you know, who, uh, his friends that would come on the missionary journeys as well. We need to be taught how to live this life of righteousness and holiness that God calls us to. And it's foolish to think that we are going to be able to do that completely on our own. Just like a baby would never learn how to speak if he lived in isolation his whole life, and nobody spoke to him, short of a miracle, you are not going to learn how to live a godly life without people around you who can help you and teach you. Walk alongside you as you learn to live this new life, to put on this new self. You know, when we read the scriptures, we're being taught by godly brothers, right? That's our family. It's helping teach us there. When you go to church or you go to life group, you come to fall getaway, like you're learning from your godly brothers and sisters, you know, but, but you're also learning simply just when you're in each other's presence in the day to day. And this is why I say 
that the church is so much more than just an organization or an event. Certainly not a building. That, the word is never used in that way in the scripture to refer to a building. Um, I, I think of when I went to college, I first got involved in H2O. I had no idea what it was. I hadn't heard of it before. But um, what I did find was when I moved on the campus, there was this group of Christians that really just cared about helping other people know Jesus. <clears throat> they were helping me move into my dorm. They were handing out water bottles. I saw their posters and their tables everywhere. I said, cool, I'll go, go check this place out. And I'm so glad that I did. Because, you know, I was already a Christian coming into college. But, but the issue was I had not spent enough time around my godly family to really help me learn how to live the life that God wanted me to. And so just as I started spending time in the presence of these other believers, more mature brothers and sisters, I, I learned so much about how to put on the new self. Uh, one thing specifically, I learned how to honor others with my speech. I did not honor people with my speech before that. And I, I wasn't even a person that cursed a lot. I just, did, I, I would make fun of people. I would uh, do coarse joking, you know, all this kind of stuff. My speech totally started to change. Um, the, the way that I honored and respected people, both speaking to them and speaking about them, totally started to change because of the way I learned life. Just being in this community. I, I hardly even had, I don't even remember if I was ever actually sat down. I don't think I was. No one ever had to like sit down and tell me this. I just learned how to speak a new way about people because of that culture. Um, I learned how to share Christ with others. You know, that was one of those things like I, I knew conceptually it was important in the scriptures. I didn't know anyone that actually shared their faith. And as I started to be around this family of people where there were people that actually shared their faith, guess what? I started to learn how to do that too. And by God's grace, he's then used me to go and help other people learn how to do that. I, I learned how to make worship a normal part of my life, where I didn't need to just go to a church service. Uh, you know, I was around people that just wanted to worship Jesus. I remember we'd have times where we'd all be hanging out in the dorm room, and all of a sudden it would just turn into a worship night. Um, I, I learned how to be vulnerable and real with others, right? Like, you, you learn that in community, you, you hear that all the time, that the concept of, yeah, you know, it's important to let people in, or it's important to talk to someone. You know, you see commercials about it. You know, if, if you're having problems, reach out to somebody. <clears throat> That's really hard to do until you get into a community of people that, are, that feels like family, that you know actually cares about you and loves you. And that's what I started to, I started to learn how to be vulnerable with people in my life. You know, this idea that we learn from others should make us ask a couple questions. And I want you to ask this to yourself. First off, are, are you around others, your family members, your Christian family members, enough to really learn from them? If you don't spend much time around your Christian brothers and sisters, you are not going to have very much opportunity to learn from them. You know, our family is a precious resource, and we can all help each other grow closer to the Lord, but this is not going to happen if we just remain isolated from one another. And the second thing I would say is, what are you teaching others when they're around you? Right? Like we, we learn culture even from each other. And so you are, are someone that's not only receiving, but you're, you're also giving. And you should be thinking about, man, what way of life are people learning from me when, when they spend time around me? You know, because we're a family... We have a culture, right? Every family has its own culture. By this, I mean that um, we have a way of life where, that we share together. That's just basically the definition of culture. We have certain views and values that we try to instill in each other. Every family has this, right? There's, there's some families where their culture is that, hey, we really value success. Like, you better be a doctor or a lawyer or you're kicked out of this family. You know, we've got, we have some where it's like, man, they really value bravery or something. It's like, you, you've got to be someone that goes into the military or something like that. There's a lot of families, they, they all have culture, they all have certain things that they really value. Maybe they really value time in the outdoors or, or, or whatever. There might be certain skills that are taught in the family. So they might prioritize teaching the kids how to hunt or how to fix cars or, um, you know, do constructions, st stuff like that. You, you learn these kind of things partially from the culture of the family that you grew up in. As Christians, we have a family culture, and that culture is defined by the, the family patriarch, right? God the Father. And, and the most defining value of Christian culture is love. That is the value that is so central to God that the Bible even says that God is love. Like, that's his most defining characteristic. 
And therefore, love is an absolutely non-negotiable part of our family culture. In 1 John 4, 19 to 21, we see this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You can't be a Christian without loving your brothers and sisters. That, that is such a defining characteristic of this family that we are a part of. And because it's such a central part of our family culture, it's something that we should be known for, even by outsiders. Right? Like some, some families excel in things to such a high degree that they're like just known for that, even by people that are outside. Maybe people that don't even know their family, right? I have plenty of examples. I've got some pictures up here. You guys could probably tell me what you know these families are, are known for, right? Uh, up there in the top left, those are the Griffies, Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. What are they known for? Right, right, uh, yeah, you know, or like uh, up in the top right, that's LeBron and his son Bronny, right? They're, no, they're known for this. Okay, you, uh, I don't know if, uh, I'll, I'll say that one for last. How about in the bottom left over there? You guys know who those are? Hey, okay, yeah, so what are they known for? Yeah, politics, right? They, they have a, <laughs> there's a, there's a family culture there of, of excelling in politics, or at least being, getting to high levels. Anyone know who these people are in the bottom right? Hey, they, there we go. Hank Williams Jr. and Hank Williams Sr. So, uh, there, and what are they known for? Country. Country music. Okay, I knew that one. A lot of people wouldn't know that one as much. But um, you get it, right? Like there, there's certain families that there's, there's things they excel in so much that people just, as soon as they think of that family, they think of this thing. And, and honestly, guys, that is what people should think of when they think of our family, Love should be that thing that comes to mind. The same way that baseball is thought about with the Griffies and basketball with, the, with LeBron and Bronny, the, the James family. When they think of that, this Christian family, they should think of love. That's what we should be known for. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus said this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. This is the defining characteristic of our family. And look at this. This is a high call to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. Think about that, right? That's what he says here. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Kyle spoke about that love last night. Jesus went all in for us. He made sacrifices for us. And in doing so, he's now actually calling us to love each other in that same kind of way. That, that we would go all in for each other, that we would make sacrifices for each other. You know, I, I don't have this text on the screen or even in my notes, but Philippians 2 speaks about considering others as more important than yourselves. That we'd, we'd be a culture that's even willing to, to put ourselves below others, to submit to others, to, to sacrifice for others, to do everything that we can to love our brothers and sisters because it's such a defining characteristic of our culture that's passed down from our patriarch, right? God. When we love each other in this way that Jesus has called us to, it is noticeable. I spoke about my my college days and that was uh, one of the things that I noticed so much when I started to get involved with H2O was just the love that the people had for each other. And by God's grace, I'm thankful I've seen that, that culture develop and in many ways at Cincy. I'm not saying we're perfect there at, at all. Um, but I, I've seen like objective people, like people from the outside make comments even about things. I remember one time, like, I like to play a lot of intramurals. One, one time we had an intramural ref that was asking us about H2O. He really wasn't that interested in the, in the God part of the church. But he was like, you know, what I, what I see about you guys though is that like you all like really love each other and have a good time together. Like, good, that's John 13, right? Like, that, that, that is so significant. People should be able to see that when they come to our gatherings, when they see us on campus, whatever, may, may they know us by the fact that we love each other. And guys, we're not going to be perfect. But I, I hope that's what people think of when they think of us. Whatever else people might think, right? Like, they, they might 
reject our doctrines. They might reject what we think about God. They might think we're narrow-minded. They might, they might think all sorts of different things. But at the very least, they shouldn't be able to deny the fact that we love each other. Like, at a baseline level, if they want to disagree with all sorts of, of theology and doctrine we have, they should at least know that we love each other. Can we do that? Right? Like, can we make a commitment to God and to each other that we're going to be that kind of family? You know, there's times where we're going to be hated by this world. Jesus was hated, right? He warned us that we were going to be hated the same way. John 15, 17, 18, this is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Those verses are right next to each other, right? Like you, you would think that if you're a family that's full of love, like, oh, if, that we, if we're hated, that means we must be doing something wrong. No, not necessarily. We can't help the fact that this world might hate us for a lot of things. But at the very least, this world should be able to see that we love each other. And hopefully they'll be able to see that we love them too, which I think John will be getting into that more later. I assume. I don't, I don't know what direction he's going to go. Um, so anyway, this, this love that we have, what, what, what does this look like? Well, well, one thing is, if we're going to love each other like this, we need to make sure that we really help each other, right? Like we take care of each other. Uh, the early church was, of course, amazing at this. You've probably, if you've been in church for any period of time, seen this some, but I think it's worth revisiting here, that, that we would help each other with physical needs, um, Acts 4, 32 to 35. This is a description of the early church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land, or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And that, that's an amazing example that was set forth by our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. Uh, I, I don't know if I put enough greats in there. Probably not. But um, they had a stewardship mentality rather than an ownership mentality. They really lived like God owned everything they had, and that they were just stewards of it, which is actually what, what all of us are, whether we recognize it or not. You don't own anything. God is the owner of everything, and you are just the steward of his resources, and they lived like that. Um, so, you know, whatever you have actually belongs to the Lord, and it would be wise for us to ask him for direction on how he wants us to direct our, our material resources, which are actually his material resources. Now, they, they didn't all just sell all their property all at once, right? It says from time to time they would do this. So I don't know how they decided. Maybe every ne a need came up and the Spirit prompted someone to say, it's, it's time for me to go sell my house and take care of this. Like, we, but we need to be people that are sensitive to the Spirit and how He's leading us to use the resources that He's given us. I have not seen people sell houses to meet a need, uh, but I have seen the church give generously uh, to help each other out. Uh, I saw our church, it wasn't just our church, there were others involved as well. Um, I have some friends that needed $20,000 for adoption fees um, because they, they were trying to help a baby that was, was going to get aborted, but they, they were going to be able to adopt it. Uh, they needed to raise 20000 pretty quickly, and the church raised it. Um, you know, that, that's obviously a big thing, but just even here recently in our church, somebody had a medical need that arose. It was only a few hundred dollars, but like within a couple hours, it was taken care of, right? Like, I've seen the, the church give generously to support one another and help each other out when there's a time of need. And, and we can meet physical needs uh, in ways that are more than just like selling stuff and giving money too, right? Like if you have a car, you can give rides. Good job. A lot of you have already done that here this week. So way to be godly. Um, you know, you can, you, if, you can let people live with you if, if you need to. I've had so many people live with me over the, the course of the time I've owned a house, even before I owned a house. Uh, we would let people live with us sometimes when they were like bedbug refugees and stuff, um, which is dangerous because sometimes you'll get bedbugs too. But uh, <laughs> regardless, right, we make sacrifices for each other. Um, you, uh, you let people borrow tools or, or your car or whatever else they, they have need. Like, let's be a community that really takes care of each other. We, we should, it, when, when there's a need in the church, it should be met. 
Like, like plain and simple. We should be able to come to our brothers and sisters and, and we as, a ch- as the church should be doing whatever we can to be able to help meet those needs. You know, we also have uh, non-material needs though, right? Some of the greatest needs that we have and that we can help each other with aren't the physical ones. And they can't be fixed simply by writing a check. Pain of losing a loved one, right? It can't be fixed by money. Battle with depression isn't overcome by fundraising. You can't buy your way into heaven. Most of the greatest needs in our lives, where we really, really need other people, are more than just physical. And the question is, are we going to be there to help each other with these kinds of needs? Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Again, if a brother or sister stuck in a sin, will we be people that, that help them, to help to restore them gently? You know, this might require confrontation, which isn't fun, right? I don't know. Maybe there's a few of you. I won't, ask, I won't ask you to raise your hands. Maybe some of you enjoy confrontation. I think most people don't like confrontation. They don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to rock the boat most of the time. Um, but, but the reality is that we have a responsibility to each other. If we actually believe sin is destructive, that we, we have a responsibility to one another to actually help each other walk in righteousness. And that if I see a brother or sister that's stuck in sin, that I, I need to love them well enough to try to help them out of that. You know, this, this is, um, I mean, just, just this week, the Lord convicted me to, to confront a brother on something. It wasn't even a huge thing, but um, you know, it wasn't something I wanted to do, right? It's uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want to say, hey, I see this sin in your life, right? But like, I, I knew, I was convicted, I'm not loving him well if I don't do this. And, you know, praise the Lord, he's a godly dude, he responded really well, which is awesome, but people may not always respond well. But regardless, like, you've you got to follow what the Lord is doing. But notice that it says, like, um, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, okay? So the, the goal isn't to just, like, come in and bash them necessarily. Uh, you're, you're trying to restore them. Um, and guys, th- this, this might require patience, too, just when you're helping a brother or sister stuck in a sin. Maybe, th- maybe they don't need confrontation, maybe they know it. But they are just like having the hardest time getting out of this. A lot of the time we want to help people, hope we can say something one time and the problem is fixed. That's not how it works a lot of the time. You know, you, you might have to be patient with helping somebody come out of a sin and, and help them to repent over and over and over and over. You have to have patience walking with them as it's still taking them a long time to get it. It might require sacrifice. You know, you might need to do something to actually help your brother or sister get out of sin. Like, they, they might need you to be consistently praying for them. Sounds easy. I don't know how many of you guys have tried to consistently pray for another person. It, it's harder than you think sometimes. You know, I, I have um, friends that, that have struggled with trying to, to get out of uh, some sexual sins. Like, a lot of that stuff, it's, it's hard to break. And they've needed people in their lives that are texting them every single day about this. And by God's grace, sometimes there's, there's been success there. You know, I had some friends in college who, um, they, they would fast for each other whenever one of them fell into the sin of watching pornography because they wanted to break this in our lives. And so if one, fe- if one watched pornography, the other one, like that, that guy who, who sins could actually go on with his life and keep eating. But the other one, would fast for like a day or two. I forget how long it was. Um, every time that this happened. And in that, it was like, man, they, they were learning, they were trying to bear each other's burdens. And it was an amazing testimony, their love for each other and their commitment to help each other to walk in righteousness. You know, your, your brother or sister may not even necessarily be caught in a sin, but they just need you to love them well and help them through a difficult time. We're called to mourn with those who mourn, right? Like, like there might be somebody that's just going through a difficult loss and, and they just need you to be able to be there with them, to, to process and to pray. You know, maybe there, there's, you have a friend that, that's just 
stuck in a spot right now where they feel like there isn't a ton of the hope of hope for the future and they just need you to speak truth into their life consistently to help them see what, what no matter how dark it looks right now the kind of future that the Lord has already promised his children we need each other in this life like I said right like we think going into mortar is hard this this is a much longer journey that we're on and Satan wants to keep us isolated and make us think that no one wants to help us. But you, if you are a Christian, are a part of an amazing family. You really are. Like, like you, you are part of an amazing family that has an amazing legacy. People that are, that are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Those are the people that are sitting around you. Like the Spirit of God is dwelling in these people. You are not alone, and I don't want you to buy into the lie that you are, or that you have to figure everything out yourself. He has given us a family to learn this new life that he wants us to live. You know, oftentimes I believe that we feel alone because we don't even give people the chance to love us. We don't give them the chance to help us when we're in a time of need. We don't even give them the chance to really know us. You know, if all you do is, is come to church, you slip out the door immediately when the service is over, you aren't going to really get to know your brothers and sisters that well. I, I talked earlier about the idea of us meeting together weekly in, in, in person, and, and one of the reasons for that is because there's just something that's awesome and, and, and powerful about celebrating God together. But one of the other things is like, man, it gives us a space to just consistently see each other and, and pray with each other and, and, and just even have space to speak into each other's lives if that needs to happen. You know, there, there's, like I said, there's a lot of great worship music that you can get on Spotify. There's great teaching on the internet, all that kind of stuff, but none of that can replace the value of actually having a family that you walk together with. If you come to church just to hear the sermon, I feel like that's almost like, it's kind of like going out to dinner. Like if your, uh, your parents invite you out to dinner and it's, it's like, okay, they're inviting you to dinner because they want to be with you, right? Not just because they want to give you food. Like, yeah, the dinner is part of it. But it would almost, it's kind of like going in, getting dinner, not talking to them and just like bumping out, right? Like all you're getting is the food, but you're not, you're not getting any of the fellowship, and I feel like that's what people do when they decide, hey, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to run in, run out real quick. Like, yeah, you're getting some of the food, but you're not getting any of the fellowship. And that's one of the major parts of it. It's why we eat meals together. Jesus set the ultimate example for us when it comes to meeting the needs of others and caring for others. Right? Our greatest need, we were separated from God by our sin. And he went to the cross to, to die on the cross, bear the wrath of God as the punishment for our sins so that we could be forgiven and reconnected to him. And so the question for us is now, okay, he, he's, he's bought us life, he's brought us into his family, are we going to follow in his footsteps as people that also care about meeting the needs of others? You know, we, we should help each other, and guys, we, we need each other. Like, whether we like it or not, we need each other. God has made us one body. One body that has a lot of different parts. Right? 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14. says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. As a Christian, your faith is not just a personal thing. It's not just between you and God. You, you've been brought into a family. You've been made part of a body that has many parts, and you're just one part of it. You need your family, and your family needs you. You know, I think that oftentimes, this might even be one of the reasons that the church can, can be ineffective in reaching culture is we act like lone rangers that don't really need each other when it comes to following Jesus. We don't act together as a body. And because we're one body, what you, what you do ends up affecting other people too. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, later on, he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
the choices that you make affect other people, right? Like you, you see this throughout scripture too. I mean, I, I was just, I was reading in Joshua the other day. It's like they're, they're, when they were uh, going out to, to, they destroyed Jericho and they weren't supposed to take any of the stuff from it, but there was this one guy that had taken some loot and, and hit it. And uh, they went out to the next battle and it should have been easy peasy. Like it was like they could have, they didn't even need the whole army to fight it. And they end up losing this battle. It's like, why did we lose this battle? Well, it turns out because someone had taken some of the stuff. And this, this one guy's sin affected the whole rest of his country and what they were doing. And guys, like, you're, if you are not healthy and you, you're hiding sin in your life, you're not taking following Jesus seriously, like, that affects the rest of the body as well. You, you don't just live an isolated life in Jesus. And so that, even there, like, that's part of why we need each other. We need to bring, like, all this dark junk that we try and this sin that we try and keep hidden bring that into the light confess that and let's work together to help each other walk in righteousness because what one person does affects all the rest of us as well and you know if you have a gift and you're not using it your family is suffering from that right like like the holy spirit gives us gifts not just for our own enjoyment First Corinthians 12, 7, I don't have it up here or in my notes, but um, it, it talks about how the Spirit gives each one gifts for, uh, for the manifestation of, the, of the, the manifest gifts for the common good. When God gives us gifts, it's not just for you. It's, it's also for the body. It's for the common good. And, and so we can't afford to just be sitting on the gifts that God gives us and, and not using them to bless others as well. So as I wrap up here, I just want to ask, man, like, like what are you going to do about everything that, that you've heard here? I've shown you that we're family. I've shown you that we learn from each other. Shown you that uh, family helps one another, that we need each other, whether we like it or not. The question is, will you go all in with each other to follow Jesus? Like, are we going to do this thing together or not? And, and if you've decided, yeah, I want to do this, like I, th this is the way God has, has called me to follow him, is not just in isolation, but in community with my family of brothers and sisters that spans the globe. I think it's awesome that we have people from different countries that are here. Yes, we, we have a global family. It's amazing. Uh, but we also have these, these little parts of it that we get together together with. And the question is like, man, are, are we going to really like be serious about following Jesus together in this family? If you're serious about that, I have some practical things that you can do. Um, one is just, man, like, like stop keeping people at arm's length if that's something that you're doing. You have to be willing to let people in. You have to be willing to ask for help. Find somebody to get real with this week. Like if you feel like you haven't really been able to get deep with anyone yet, I want you to know like, there, there are people here at this, this camp, like your brothers and sisters, that want, that want to get deep with you. And so I don't care if that's in, in the car ride back, like you want to talk about something or in your life group times that are coming up or whatever. Maybe you're in the well and you have a mentor. Something, be, be real about what's going on in the, actually inside of your heart. Um, man, if, if, there's, if there's doubt that you're wrestling with, you're, you're struggling connecting with God, if he's challenging you in some way, whatever, like Help, use the body to help you walk through some of that. And you know what? If everything is going great in the depths of your heart, it's just, man, I'm full of joy. Things are awesome. Like, that's good. You shouldn't feel bad about that. A lot of the time, that's actually how my life is. I remember I, I would kind of get frustrated sometimes hearing speakers always talk about, the, yeah, you got to get rid of the dark, like, like, talk about the dark stuff in your life. I'm like, I agree, but also, like, sometimes life is just good. Like, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of joy that I have in following Jesus. Like, if that's, if that's the, really what's in the depth of your heart right now, cool, then share that with them and celebrate that. Um, but, but man, let, let's stop keeping people at arm's length. I would also say that we need to pray. Like, pray together. Um, if, if vulnerability is something that, that's difficult for you, maybe even pray for discernment about who to be vulnerable with. Right? Like, I, I love the people that are here. I know some of you very well. Some of you I don't know at all. I know some of you guys are following Jesus. There's probably people in this room that do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. So I'm not saying that every person actually is a safe person to be vulnerable with. But I know that there are people here that are. And uh, man, maybe you just need to even pray to the Lord, like, God, give me direction in like, who I need to really open up in my life with. And then like, pray with that person. Let that person pray with you. Let them pray over you. There'll even be an opportunity for that to happen later tonight. Um, 
I would also say, man, exercise discipline to be in community. In Acts 2.42, it's a super famous verse, but it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. One of the things is fellowship. That idea of devotion, it's like there's, there's a conscious, serious, like concerted effort that's being made. And one of the things they're doing that with is to fellowship. I think a lot of time we think of fellowship as like it should just always be easy and natural. And sometimes it is. That's great. Just like sometimes reading your Bible is easy and natural. But sometimes it takes discipline. And, and to think that somehow we're doing it wrong if it's like, man, I actually have to exercise discipline. I, I don't know why we would think that. Right? We actually exercise discipline to pursue the things that we care about most. <laughs> Any goal that you have that you really care about, it almost always takes discipline and intentional effort to pursue it. And I honestly think that fellowship is the same way. Sometimes it is really easy and natural to just hang with others. Sometimes like, you, you're going to have to choose. I am going to be disciplined and choose to engage in fellowship. I'm going to build time in my schedule to make sure I'm with people so I'm not just, I, I don't just naturally end up doing what's easy, which is being by myself in my room on Netflix or Instagram or whatever. Um, fellowship in many ways is a, is a discipline. And, and, and that's even why I know at least at our church, like we have things like huddles and we have things like life group or whatever. Some of these are places where it's like, I'm going to discipline myself to put this in my schedule, even if I don't feel like it, to go and be with people and to try and engage with them in a meaningful way. <clears throat> I would also say, um, man, sh share, share life together. Just with the simple stuff, like, like don't count just on events like this or, or life group or Sunday service or whatever to uh, be the only time you see each other. There's so much cool stuff that happens in like just the normal spaces of life when you go out and you're playing disc golf together or you're uh, you know, playing board games or, or, or whatnot. It's just amazing the way that like the Lord can minister to us. You don't know what's going to happen, but just when you're around Christian brothers and sisters, I've seen really cool stuff happen in my life sometimes in just those spaces where you don't expect it to, to happen. Um, also, fill your mind with truth. When you think according to God's word, you're going to start to see people the way that God does. And so, man, if you, if you realize, man, I really want to grow in going all in together with other people and in fellowship, like, then, then start to read the scriptures. Start to, I mean, I've shown you plenty of scripture already this morning that speaks to how important it is for us to be with each other, how important it is to love each other, how we're brothers and sisters. Refresh yourself with that consistently. And then finally, the last thing I would say is just be a contributor. A lot of the time, I think we have a consumer mindset in, in relationships, we, we go into relationships, uh, sometimes dating relationships, sometimes friendships, um, maybe the church. You come in just only looking at what can I get, what can I get, what can I get. <laughs> that is a great killer of depth <laughs> in a relationship, right? Because nobody wants to feel like you're just coming to suck something out of them all the time. The, the cool thing is you have something to offer. You have something to offer. I don't care who you are. Like God has made you the way he's made you for a reason. And you have something to offer every person that you enter into a relationship with. And so my, my uh, encouragement to you is, man, just like, yes, look to receive great things from, from the people that are in your life, but also look to give. Look to see how you can bless. Like um, I had a friend that used to be this way. He was just very, very, very much a taker. And uh, I even talked to him ab about this idea of like, hey, man, if you want to, and he would always feel isolated. He'd always feel like no one was close to him. Um, I'd be like, man, like, you got to start thinking about how you can start blessing other people and, and, and giving to them as well. And he really started to make a conscious effort to do that. And honestly, I've seen huge change in his life. Um, he's not a huge part of my life anymore. We don't live in a, a super close to each other. But... Um, I've seen significant difference in, in the way that he's able to connect with people now because he really, he started to be a contributor. He started to say, I think in many ways he saw, he had such a low view of himself that he didn't think he had anything to give. But as he started to see some of the ways that God had gifted him, he started to bless him. One thing, he's good at cooking. He, he started cooking a bunch of meals for his friends. <laughs> like, and it was just, just that, like, yeah, it was cool to get the free food, but it was like, it, it was more like, I see that this guy cares about me and, and wants to give, right? So that's just, if you want deep relationships, they, they've always got to be a, a two-way street. Um, 
All right, we're about to enter into a, a, a time where we're just going to go off by ourselves and be with the Lord here. And as we do this, I want you to be thinking about both what I've shared with you this morning and also what Kyle was sharing last night. Um, you know, maybe you need to really be thinking about the way that the Lord went on with you. I don't know where you are right now. Maybe for some of you, you heard the gospel for the first time last night or it really started to click with you for the first time. Then, then I encourage you to just like pray with the Lord and thank him for the fact that he went all in for you so that you could be with him. And, uh, you know, maybe for, for many of you, I'm sure you're already Christians, you know, coming into this retreat and you feel like God is really convicting you to start to go deeper in with each other. Um, that's cool. That's, that's important, right? Like pray through God, how is it that you want me to take steps to go all in with the people that you've put around me? Um, you know, I had those six things I think it was that, that you can consider doing. Maybe you can even pray through that and be like, Lord, am I keeping people at arm's length? If so, like, what, what can I do to stop that? Or, you know, what do you want me to pray about even? <laughs> like, you can pray about what God wants you to pray about. Um, that's actually a great thing to do sometimes because the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray for you. Um, but, or, you know, maybe, maybe there's just something else in your life that you really need to process with the Lord. Like, this is, this is your time and your space to be able to do that. So we're going to come back together at noon, I believe it is, for lunch. So you have the next hour and a half to be able to go spend with the Lord. By and large, uh, I, would, I would ask that you guys just do this as quiet time with the Lord. But maybe during this time, you're like, hey, I actually need to go talk with somebody. Um, maybe there's like right now, there's a conviction on your heart. I need to go deeper with someone and I know who that person is. I need to talk to them. Then like you can use this time to do that too. You know, maybe you need to talk with someone about starting a relationship with Jesus. You can use this time uh, to do that too. But, but what I would ask that you don't do is like go play Gaga ball or, you know, board games or something like that. Okay. Uh, use this time for the next hour and a half to either seek out the Lord uh, or to go and, and find a brother or sister that you need to speak to about your relationship with Jesus. Um, once we come back for lunch at noon, you can also be packing your cars at that time. So I believe that's all the announcements that we have here. So I love you guys. I'm super thankful for you. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then I'll send you off into the quiet time. God, we love you and thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that you have called us uh, to follow you and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you've called us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And uh, God, we just ask that you'd help us to be people that do that. Um, so Holy Spirit, speak to us over this next hour and a half. I ask that you would really work in our hearts, help us to connect with you, and uh, help us to, yeah, just be people that really walk more and more in this new life that you have given us. Uh, we love you and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.